This is history for the future. What we can learn from the TRC with Pippa Green. Lenguim Kize was appointed to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 1995 and became chair of the Reparations and Rehabilitation Committee. She served on the committee until 2003 and helped to establish the President's Fund set up to pay reparations to victims of apartheid identified by the TRC, as well as to fund exhumations and reburials. We really have to go back to the basics, the fundamentals of reconciling the nation. In its last annual report in 2015, the President's Fund reported a balance of nearly 1.2 billion rand. It also reported that it had disbursed one-off grants of 30,000 rand to all the victims identified by the TRC, save for 13 whom it could not trace. A former academic and professor of clinical psychology, Klenguim Kize is currently the Deputy Minister of Telecommunications and Postal Services. I met her in her office in the parliamentary precinct and asked her to reflect on the strengths and weaknesses of the TRC. What did it do best? It's so difficult, you know, to reflect mm. on the TRC. Because there are days when you are up it and really think, oh, this was a great idea. But there are times when you say, um, where are we, you know? Uh, for, for me, you know, when I think about that time, I think what was really, really important was to get all South Africans talking about the past. She says the country had come out of a fragmented history, not only between black and white, but between the anti-apartheid movements themselves. For me, it was almost like an impossible task. I thought of extremist right-wingers, and I was listening to many of my township friends who had come from the black consciousness movement and then of course the the, the mainstream pool UDF aligned people are saying how is this gonna work? The idea of a commission to look at the unpalatable past was first raised by Nelson Mandela before nineteen ninety four when he suggested a way to examine the truth of what had happened in some of the ANC camps, she says. But the idea quickly expanded to include the entire range of atrocities committed during the apartheid era. And I must say, the way Madiba handled it, when he allowed the process for different structures to nominate people, and I saw the response, the enthusiasm, everybody beginning to, even that consultative process opened up issues a bit. You know, you'll hear some people being skeptical, others cautious, others completely opposed. Uh, I remember some families, you know, like Mugane family, who actually took the commission to court. I mean, they, they, I always say, they represented the thinking of many people who were still angered, um, full of rage about what had happened, saying no. It can't be just simple a truth and reconciliation. Both Griffiths and Victoria Mklenge, human rights lawyers in Durban, were brutally murdered by apartheid assassins, Griffiths in 1981 and Victoria in 1985. Five former security police officers, including Dirk Kutsia, Armand Novomela and Joe Mamasela, 
applied for and were granted amnesty for Griffiths' murder in 1997, despite objections from the Mklenge family. Although only a small fraction of those who applied for amnesty actually got it, people feared at the start of the commission that blanket amnesties would be granted. For me, the tipping point was when really uh, victims, when victims had an opportunity to express their feelings uh, and, 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 and they felt vindicated when affirmed by commissioners. She recalled the case of Sinkongwana Ernest Machas, a former political prisoner who was tortured so badly he was in a wheelchair. You remember uh, Malkas, that man who could hardly talk, who was tortured and broken, who broke the archbishop and actually made him to cry in East London. So there were difficult moments like those because we, we, it became clear that we're talking gross human rights violations and we're talking about reconciliation, but some of the damage is, is so deep-seated that what are we saying to families if they reconcile? What are they saying? And there were those who broke down talking about family members who were missing or had been killed. What gave us hope was the enthusiasm, especially from communities, of wanting to talk, of wanting everybody to know almost like something, the TRC triggered something, that I don't want to carry this burden alone. I want to throw it out there, it must be shared. So I think that was good for the nation. Difficult, but as South Africans, we have to go through that. What about the dissatisfaction with the extent and level of reparations? The TRC had recommended a payment of 21000 to victims for six years, but in the end, each victim got a lump sum of 30000 Does she think this is sufficient? If you look at it, you know, and thinking about healing or social justice as a critical element of this transitional justice project, I would say I wish we had canvassed the issue of victims and made a commission more victim-centered and ensure that the legislation itself spoke to that. Remember, there were pre-conferences and ad hoc discussions before the law was finalized. So if it was victim-centered, we could have canvassed views from the public in general as to what was their thinking about victims. There were companies, including multinationals, that had benefited hugely from apartheid, she says, but the Commission did not have the power to ask them to contribute to victims. Instead, if you look at our Promotion of National Unity and Reconciliation mm -hmm. Act, number 34 of 1995, mm -hmm. the Reparations and Rehabilitation Committee was mandated to make recommendations and that was a problem, number one. I asked whether the Truth Commission had the legal power to make decisions about reparations. No. And on the other hand, the perpetrators could be awarded amnesty immediately. In other words, they'll be free, they'll get on with their lives, really, so to say, because nobody could take uh, the TRC on review.
So for me, that, that's an unfortunate thing. And the second point, which when I look at it, I say, I wish it was canvassed more. Again, it affects the, the, the healing, the reconciliation process. The, the very question of amnesty. I wish we had had more discussions as to the criteria of granting amnesty. For instance, I always say young people who were drawn in as perpetrators, maybe by the regime or whoever, could qualify for amnesty when they say at the age of 12, 15, 16, mm -hmm. I was given a weapon and I did this. But the difficulty with our amnesty, it covered even an official of the state who knowingly engaged in activities of destroying people, of committing crimes against other people. And so when you talk amnesty there, it becomes a problem because really it, it, it doesn't help to deal with anger. Time and again, people, they don't, you know, sometimes when you talk to members of the community, you find that it's almost like it didn't register in their mind that um, some of the security guys qualified for amnesty as long as they made full disclosure, showed that they were acting within the mandate, you know, and they applied on time and all those things. So they will be surprised that why is he still in charge of the police station? Because he admitted that he, he did this and this and this in the area. He terrorized people. He was involved in the killings. They murdered people. They buried them. They burned them while they were having a barbecue. So this issue of amnesty, uh, time and again, it evokes anger that is difficult to to justify. So did we lean too far in the direction of reconciliation? There should have been a higher standard applied to officials of state who committed human rights violations, she says, such as security policemen. A young person who joined the army mm -hmm. because it was an expectation and ended yeah. up killing people. That's mm. completely different mm. from a person who, in their official capacity, they involve in the planning and the implementation of these crimes against citizens. That part, it remains a difficult one. Yet despite its shortcomings, the TRC helped move us forward, even though it did not have the mandate to investigate every aspect of apartheid. Although it held sectoral hearings of the military, business, the media and so on, some businesses resisted coming before the commission, and the commission itself didn't have the powers to compel them to. I think they, they were good intentions, but I don't think um, at that time we, we, we really thought the process through that much as it the Transitional Justice Project has to promote healing and reconciliation, but it, has, it still had to be perceived to be not to deviate much from the fundamental pillars of restitution, compensation, although it was not meant to compensate exactly in a traditional sense, but it had to 
portray some elements of social justice. And there was the issue of economic capacity. The country was almost bankrupt at the end of apartheid. The new ANC leaders were anxious for new investments. Was this a constraint, I asked? I knew in all the discussions, everybody was saying, this country has been divided for too long. We have to take our rightful place. And the continent at that time, there were problems with the Great Lakes region. And so South Africa saw, we saw ourselves as people who must lead in terms of the rule of law, uh, in terms of a culture of human rights, you know, all the noble ideas of democracy. We, you know, we carried that burden. The first decade of democracy was spent in establishing its pillars, such as the Chapter 9 institutions, as well as entrenching the rule of law, she says. It's understandable. I really can identify with our approach. And sometimes when I look at difficulties in other countries, I say the choices we made were the, were the best for the country. But on reflection, she says, there should have been an open file around the question of victims. For instance... You know, there were things we knew we won't finish, like the question of missing people, people who have never been accounted for. And it won't, it won't cause any harm to keep the file open. The question of prosecutions, I think that could have been strengthened a bit, because really, even amongst the security forces, there were those who stepped out of line, who went beyond a call of duty. The abduction and murder of the civic leaders who became known as the Craddock Four was an example of that, she says. There were other cases, and this is why we should have kept a file open on human rights violations, even beyond the life of the TRC. At that time, I know for sure people felt we can spend all the resources we have on the past. The problems are too deep. They have a long history. We'd rather use all the resources focusing on the future. The, the better South Africa, the rainbow nation, you know, all our ideals. So it's, well, ho- hopefully history will judge us fairly to say maybe it was a reasonable choice. Plus, she says, the country had been isolated for so long. It was important to focus on priorities such as bringing back investment. There are many countries who have had conflicts which it would be good not to deal with them. It would be good to look at them, but... You know, it needs to be more victim-centered so as not to create future generations with um, generalized anger uh, and frustrations about what happened and so on, you know, because also that can be counterproductive. But how does she feel about the wave of recent protests on campuses, some of which have questioned the TRC process? Was business left undone, things left unsaid? I remember, you know, when uh, parliamentarians debated our report, we came, we were excited, but I still think that parliamentarians could have been more generous in thinking about the healing process. For instance, Rwanda had uh, a genocide. I followed their processes Annually, they will have workshops talking about what had happened and so on. And in our case, I really don't even think the students understand how did we come to discussions on symbolic reparations. The TRC, she says, didn't come up with a monitoring structure that could effectively track victims. 
prosecutions were left in the hands of the NPA. But generally, it's a dead book. So when you look at what happened and this project, what it was meant to do, I don't know how would we expect these young people to understand where we come from. So was the TRC a sellout, as some, particularly in the younger generation, have claimed? Well, I don't want to attribute this to our education system. I still think we needed a structure. We had museums, like the Apartheid Museum. We didn't have a structure which would really assist different categories of people to understand what we unpacked during the TRC and what is a common understanding of the future and to allow other people who were younger to reflect on these processes. She recalls her own long years of learning in and through the anti-apartheid struggle. Some of these students, they really don't understand what the country has gone through. They don't even think that violence begets violence. They just don't even see how much has been lost by the country in terms of acquiring good education, critical skills, all what a modern society needs to be in competition within the global community. In the absence of that historical project, I think we are depriving this generation, really, of having a deeper understanding of the difficult past and especially of how this democratic government chose to manage the transitions so that there's a buy-in. They might not fully agree, but at least there should be a deepened understanding of the choices we've made. Sometimes you get angry at them, but at the same time you can't blame them. If you can go around asking students how many volumes were produced by the TRC, they might not know. If you go outside parliament here and ask MPs, people won't know. And not to mention how many of you have read one volume. I'm talking about legislatures. So those are some of the difficulties we live with, uh, which I'm hoping that, you know, there are good lessons to be learned from what we did, for sure. But it's almost like we needed a mechanism. So do we need more museums, memorials? She says some of the initiatives launched by victims of apartheid, such as the Institute for Healing Memories run by Father Michael Lapsley, the Anglican priest whose hands were blown off by a parcel bomb, need to multiply. But not even churches have regular sessions anymore, she says, to reflect on past hurts. Businesses should do it too, as a way of making companies more inclusive. I ask if the continuing economic challenges, particularly the stubborn inequality and high unemployment in South Africa, is perhaps the main obstacle to reconciliation. Hey, that's, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult one because um, business by nature is driven by self-interest. Uh, business by nature is competitive. That's why I said I wish we had a monitor, objective, respected monitoring structure uh, which could assist us to reflect of how far we've gone since the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and really take a deeper look at the realities of today in terms of saying, well, the TRC helped us to really take seriously the rule of law, the culture of human rights, and say this P 
people have come up with notions of radical economic transformation, which is really a statement of saying now it can't be business as usual. But still, we don't have a structure which is helping to get a conversation going amongst different sectors. She says the business charters in parts of the economy that deal with ownership are sometimes good, but are they sufficient to move forward? The policies are solid, but a human element is lacking. I mean, I was looking at Stellenbosch, I was thinking, saying, you know, how many students know, both black and white, Afrikaners there, who know about um, Bayas Naudet, what he did, how he used his privilege to uplift the other when he had no obligation. The Dutch reformed cleric who repudiated apartheid addressed a meeting she was at in 1977, just after many of the black consciousness organizations and leaders had been banned by the apartheid government. Activists were traumatized. Many were detained. Others left the country. I was thinking a lot about him when I saw this uh, film, Leicester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said, oh my God, now you can't tell students because they need to hear you know, about how people can use uh, positions of privilege to, to, to create a healthier environment for all. When they don't stand to benefit, when they have no reason to do that, and they have everything going for them. I mean, Bears, we're told, was the most brilliant person came from a good family, had a chance of being a state president of the country, and he made different choices. And now, things are happening. It's, you know, issues are discussed in a a divisive manner, as though we have no rich history to use, to unite people. So those are some, those are some of the tipping uh, moments where you, you wish our rich inheritance could be used to really bring us closer together in dealing with difficulties, be it transformation at university or in the private sector, and use the powerful examples of those who made a difference to push hard for people to continue in that legacy. So how do we go forward from here to a more solid reconciliation? We have huge opportunities which we are not utilizing. Our country was not destroyed. We have pockets of excellence. You know, for me, it's a question of saying, how do we bring back the Madiba spirit? You know, I'm a strong believer in a human Mm -hmm. element. You know, what, what made our country to succeed was not money. At the time when we took over, there were serious problems. Unemployment was high, there were challenges. But there was something which brought people close to each other. And I really think uh, the question of reconciliation, we don't have to tweak it and call it all sorts of names, some which doesn't really compel you to feel close to a person. Uh, we, We really have to go back to the basics, the fundamentals of reconciling the nation so that even during these difficult times where the whole world is going through, you know, the economic outlook is a global problem. But I still think 
if we look for opportunities, if we pursue the inclusive agenda, we'll do better if we can bring the human element to it. We need, she says, a sense of belonging. But I wish we could have a mechanism where we really help everybody to not blind loyalty, to defend your country and feel belonging. We experience that and we, I'm sure we can still experience it, where we feel the sense of ownership. When the TRC submitted its report, five volumes on human rights and two on the Amnesty Committee, we closed that chapter, she says, and went our separate ways. Now it seems people have grown more apart. Let's find ways of finding a common, finding each other, even when discussing different things. It can't be us and them. That was Deputy Minister Hlengiwe Mkiza interviewed in Cape Town on the 22nd of September 2015. I'm Pippa Green in Cape Town, produced by Jean-Michel. Thanks to the Cape Town Youth Choir for the use of their musical performance of Senzanina. You've just listened to History for the Future, what we can learn from the TRC. Keep listening for more insights into the state of reconciliation in South Africa, then and now.